GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. If you go to 989WORD.com, if you want to go see this event that Tara and Charlie are going to be uh, holding tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in Greer uh, with uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, you need to go to the website get the ticket. I will be here an hour early just so that Tara can get there and get there on time. Anyway, I have been, uh, it has been requested, I'll be nice about it, it's been requested I discuss this thing about the Palestinian American students that got shot. And, uh, well, there's been some information that's come out. The, the shooter was a 48-year-old guy who looks like a crackhead to me, named Jason Eaton. He allegedly rolled up on him, jumped at him, shot him four times, then ran away. Two of the students were struck in the torso. The other one was hit below the waist. All of them were 20 years old. They all, uh, according to the Burlington Police Department, they were all receiving medical care. Two were stable. One had sustained much more serious injuries. They were walking on Prospect Street, wherever that is, visiting a relative in Burlington for the Thanksgiving holiday when they were confronted by a white man with a handgun, says the release. And he rolled up on him, didn't say nothing, and just pulled his weapon out and started firing. At least four rounds, and then he fled on foot. Two of the victims are U.S. citizens. One is a legal resident. Two of them were wearing the kefya, the traditional Palestinian scarf, the white and black checkered thing. And uh, two were shot in the torso and one in the lower extremity. Now, first things first. Let's 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 get the separation here if we can. Um, I... There is no Palestine. Palestine is a word like transgender. Being Palestinian is the same thing as saying I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a third party. It's a it's it's a belief. It's 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 almost a political party. It is. It's a claim to something where when they go back in history, when you say, okay, well, who who was uh, who was uh, who was the first president of Palestine? And how many presidents of Palestine have there been? There is no answer to that because there never have been any. Okay, so let's get that part of it out of the way. This is not a nationality. It's not a species. It's basically a political party. So Eaton, the shooter, and he should have the book thrown at him. He should be put away. He should be tried for attempted murder on all three cases. He was apprehended in his home. And uh, they noted that uh, the authorities noted that he had been waiting for them when they were when they arrived. Now, Mr. Eaton uh, described himself describes himself as a radical system, citizen on uh, social media. He claimed to be patrolling democracy and capitalism for oath creepers. He discussed being in a parallel universe and routinely engaged in conversations about the war between Israel and Hamas. Then he started scrubbing a lot of his social media, so there hasn't been much information available regarding what he may think about the, the ongoing war. His mother indicated that he had suffered from depression and other mental health problems in the past, but she said that during their Thanksgiving gathering, he seemed happy. Now, believe it or not, that's actually a sign because he had come to grips with what he was going to go do. And now he was at peace, right? Now, most of the time when that happens, this is somebody that's going to kill themselves. But for whatever reason, whatever a grievance, he decided he was going to go do this.
Now, she was shocked at his actions because she, she did not see him as being capable of this kind of violence and described him as a spiritual person. And he's a very well-educated fellow. He has multiple degrees and certifications. He is a teacher of fifth and sixth graders and worked with kids in other venues as well. <laughs> I mean, dude's been teaching our kids. <sighs> Let's see. According to his resume, he was a field instructor for the McCall Outdoor Science School in Idaho, where he taught science to fifth and sixth graders for two months in 2005. He became an investment advisor representative and managed $7 million in assets. He was a senior head instructor at Obsidian Trails Outdoor School in Oregon. And between 2004 and 2005, he claimed to have worked at Adirondack Leadership Expeditions. Later, he guided wilderness trips for at-risk youth at the School of Urban and Wilderness Survival of the Carolinas in North Carolina, according to the document. Vice reported that Eaton was also formerly an assistant scoutmaster for a Boy Scouts of America unit in New York. So Mr. Eaton is a very well-traveled dude. It is believed that he gravitated towards libertarianism, which um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, if that's one of those things where well, how, how do you how do you define libertarianism? Libertarianism is a little bit uh, open as far as the interpretation of what it is and what it is not. But he's also expressed support for both Republican and Democratic politicians and, uh, and candidates. He also described, he uh, he made a banner image which featured bold, big bold text saying libertarians want trans furries to be able to protect their cannabis farms with unregistered machine guns. So in the archive version, he described himself as a dad and a part-time farmer and identifies himself as being from Vermont. And he doesn't like the IRS. He doesn't like the Fed. He describes himself as a libertarian, but, you know, he also likes some Democrats and Republicans. He also was, he was very opposed to COVID-19 vaccination. He wrote a post titled Thought Crime, and he characterized the pandemic as a government conspiracy, which I don't know that, you know, I, I think it wasn't so much a conspiracy as it was a opportunity. And he, he put this on LinkedIn, but then he pulled him down because he didn't want people to look at his thoughts, his thought patterns on LinkedIn and say, I don't know if I want to give this guy a position. <laughs> And listen, I don't care what his rap sheet looked like, and I don't care what he's done up to this point. If he walked up on three people that hadn't done anything, you know, being opposed to somebody politically does not mean you kill them. Now, whether or not these guys were radical Palestinian, uh, uh, you know, operatives, we don't know yet. Don't know. Uh, we do know that a lot of them have come here and been educated and go back and do that kind of thing. All of those guys in 9-11... They took their flight school training here in the United States. So we haven't yet got to the point to where we can do the, you know, the minority report and just go out there and start executing people like we're Judge Dredd. We haven't got to that point just yet. Sorry. So he's being held without bail and he should have the book thrown at him, in my opinion. And he, <laughs> he has pled not guilty. His attorney indicated it's premature to speculate about the motivation behind the shooting. I don't know. Whatever this thing is, whatever this guy is, it more will come out as we... But we need to know his motive. We need to find out his motive. We really do. And that's that's the part where, uh, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to develop the story and everything else. 
I do not. Uh, I am not one to sit back and say that we should be going out and shooting people just because they're there. Sorry. There's lots of there's lots of uh, you know there's lots of Muslim people that are just normal people that are Muslims, right? They're they're not they're not radicalized. And being radicalized means you're going to do some things. And most of the time, whenever I see somebody that's radicalized, though, they're on the left. So I'm still waiting to see where this comes down because most of the ones that take action, like Audrey Hale, like that cat up in Louisville, like uh, James Hodgkinson, most of those guys, when they take this, uh, when they take this sort of action, um, they have been motivated by rhetoric from the left. So this dude has been listening to somebody. He's been listening to somebody, you know that has been vilifying the Palestinian cause, which uh, based upon the way the Palestinians did October the 7th, I think it's sort of a target-rich environment if that's the way it's going to go. But you don't sit there and you don't take that sort of action on something unilaterally without having some action to take action against. This dude did not have the warrior mindset. He had the predatory mindset. He is not, he is not, uh, he's not of the warrior cast. But anyway, that's my take on it. We'll see, we'll see what we get out of this as more, more information comes in. I want to know his motive. I want to know what he was looking at before he decided to take this action. I want to know why he picked these three kids, these three young men, three 20 year olds. Why, why'd you go after them? Which is not to say they can't be violent, not to say they couldn't be terroristic, but I just want to know why he focused on them. That's, that's important too. Right now, the Democrats are looking for something they can get behind, that you can get behind, and they've decided part of the hill, they're, one of the hills they're going to die on is price controls and drugs. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Man, some of you guys on the text line, you guys are giving yourselves away. <laughs> giving yourselves away. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. And I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, if that is your cup of tea. Right now, President, uh, President, the resident, Joe Biden, is just, uh, as far as how many people like him, uh, Right now, having a sharp stick stuck in your eyes, polling higher than him. So they got to find something that will resonate with the voters. And as it always is, uh, the, the, the issues the Democrats care about the most, the independent voters couldn't care less. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's an issue. But there is one issue that they could get into and get behind because they get to control something when they do this. And maybe this could move some votes if we artificially control the price of drugs. Now, the reason drugs cost as much as they do now anyway is because of insurance, which is also a, uh, that's also another one of those uh, controlled, Demo uh, you know, uh, Democratic ideas. But the Democrats think this is a winner. As long as you don't think too hard about what they're doing. Um, in the, if you were to do a Scamala Harris Venn diagram and, uh, try to, uh, 
you know, figure out the issues that Democrats care about versus the issues that independent voters care about, you wouldn't see a whole lot of overlap there. It's, it's, it's very a, a big chasm between the two. Democrats care about apportion access. Independents care about being able to buy food for their family. There is some overlap, but that's more of a that's more of a more of a accident. But the issue that motivates a vote is different from issues voters care about. And the ability to care for your family resonates more than abortion. The ability to afford anything is a large motivating force for voters this cycle because they can't. I mean, I went I went to the grocery store the other day. And it was it was ridiculous what it cost to roll out of the roll out of there with a few little plastic bags that didn't even cover the floor of that of that roll of that cart, you know? Now the Democrats have gotten out there and they, you know, they have said that first of all they denied that inflation existed, then they claimed it was transitory, and now they have no choice but to address the cost of goods. But they're not going to uh, they're not going to acknowledge their role in creating the inflation. Now, healthcare, which is it's it's always one of healthcare is like racism. It's one of those constants, right? Cuz some of us are aging. Now, some of us also have the memory of the Obamacare fight, and we know that the, that that whole thing was uh, premised on a lie. None of this stuff ever came true. None of the promises of savings that never materialized. This, uh, you know, five million people lost their health care plans. To, and this is fresh in people's minds. So you can't go that route again yet. Give it time. But now the cost of prescription drugs can, can't it? Now, we get this, a White House press release last month. President Biden and congressional Democrats finally beat Big Pharma and allowed Medicare to directly negotiate lower drug prices by passing the Inflation Reduction Act, despite zero Republicans voting for the bill. They've said this often and regularly. And it would be, it would be a victory worthy of celebration if you, if you didn't know anything about how markets work. Now, nobody cares about Big Pharma. I don't care about Big Pharma. Uh, just make the drugs. I, you know, as far as how, how you're perceived by the, you guys are villains. You guys know what I know. And Deloitte estimated the cost of bringing a new drug to market is about, is at more than $2 billion. I, I have a hard time getting out there saying, what, you, you, you had $2 billion to spend to bring it to market. Obviously, you plan to make a considerably more than $2 billion, right? So, yeah. but think about what would happen to that R&D once price controls are introduced on a large scale. And then at that point, when they begin to do that, then we better hope that all of our ailments are just, you know, normal. Something that already has a good treatment or a cure. Otherwise, research will stop. This has happened over and over again. In everything they've ever touched, they always stop the R&D. If they implement price controls, then drug companies will not invest the billions to create new drugs and bring them to the market because they're not going to recoup those costs. So that means the next COVID that comes along, which is, you know, that that's a bad, you know, that's a bad one. That's actually the flu. Whatever the next big real ailment that comes along, nobody's there's going to be zero chance they're going to develop anything for it. 
Now, we already have drug controls in place as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Congressional Democrats gave the, the Biden administration the ability to negotiate the price of certain drugs in the Medicare system. That's not just the nose of the camel sticking up under the tent there. This leads to even more meddling from the government. There's no negotiating with the government. You either give them the price they set or you don't get access to the 65 million Americans on Medicare. People are always looking for a pool of clients. So Medicare, of course, wants this pool of clients. Or these people selling the drugs want this pool of clients, whatever. And the older people get, the more likely they are to need these medicines. So the one holding all the leverage is the government. And the income for a specific drug can go from hundreds of millions to nothing if a company refuses to accept what the government is willing to pay. Now, there is, a call, there is a chance they might be able to make up for that in, uh, in, in quantity, but the quantities would be gigantic because the, the margin is, margins on this is so big. Now, the odds of a senior ever learning this is zero because the, the, the doctors are only going to prescribe the covered drugs where the manufacturers chose to play ball, right? We're the ones that are out there that say, yeah, we'll do that. No problem. I got no issue with that. And uh, this may not be the drug that your doctor thinks is best for you. It's just going to be the one that's going to be easiest for you to get with no money coming out of your pocket. And when the government says no, in this particular case, there's nobody to appeal it to. So you could, and they could also be hit with a 95% excise tax on that drug. So it, the leverage is give us the price we're demanding or we'll take almost every penny you make is about as one-sided as it gets. And the lesson here is this. Once you get into bed with the government, getting out is impossible. It's like Hotel California. And once they gain control over something, the unintended consequences mean nothing. Even as they begin to materialize and they be, you know, people that see what's going on. You know, when, when, the, when the millions were losing their health plans after Obama said they wouldn't, nothing was done to arrest that development. This is why limited government is so important. And uh, this is why getting in bed with, with government is horrible. It's a bad thing to do. So we need to have, we need to limit what they do in the first place. That's all, that's all there is simply to it, simply to it. <sighs> I love the leftist hubris when they get out there and they, when they accomplish something, even if it's a monstrosity, they cannot help themselves, but to, uh, to brag about it, you know, to, to get out there and say, look what I did, which is exactly what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about Melissa DeRosa, former secretary to the now demonstrated uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. She's the most unself-aware person I've ever heard of. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. You can always, when somebody tells you who and what they are, believe them. Believe them when they tell you this. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. And I'm streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. That's your cup of tea. 
Talking about a uh, pilgrim named Melissa de Rosa, secretary to the now vilified Governor Andrew Cuomo, New York, who his only claim to fame is he's not as bad as Kathy Hochul. And she wrote what's left unsaid, which is so bad and so self-unaware and so arrogant that uh, certain people are getting out there saying, well, I read it so you don't have to. (laughs) She brags about Cuomo bullying everyone into implementing his tyrannical COVID policy. Which, among other th- well, first of all, it accomplished nothing. Then it did cause half a million New Yorkers to flee the state. And 2020, 2021 was their largest single-year population loss in history. They lost a city. He bulldozed the legislature into giving him emergency power to institute mass quarantines, order businesses to close, and suspend laws and issue sweeping directives. He became a dictator. What he what he put out there for COVID did squat to slow the spread of COVID, but it did destroy businesses and annihilate cultural institutions and kill budding careers and stunt children's educational development and delay urgent medical care, among other things. Which makes him a tyrant. He closed all public colleges in the state and he browbeat private universities into doing the same. In the first year of the pandemic, there was a grand total of 648 deaths among the 15 to 24-year-old segment in the entire country. And we don't know what other health problems those kids had that died, unfortunately. But Cuomo, he ruined hundreds of thousands of young people for no reason. Then, in one of the most unlikely circumstances you can find, where the Bill de, where Bill de Blasio was actually the good guy here, he badgered Bill de Blasio into shutting down public schools in New York City. Over the objection of the wildly left-wing mayor and his teachers union. And as DeRosa puts it, both Both were adamantly opposed to closing the schools in the city. No ifs, ands, or buts. So, one week after the governor demanded de Blasio would close the schools, the governor decided he was done waiting. He called into a local TV station and simply announced the city's public schools were closed. Which means he he did away with local rule, local government. That was the single worst decision made during COVID. Even the New York Times has admitted that much of it. Most children are at zero risk from COVID. But school for for a young person is very good for psychological development, cognitive development. It's good for socializing them, for making them a part of society, you know. And he took that away. Then he bullied Trump into creating a military hospital at the Javits Center, and he had the USS Comfort they, they, into field hospitals for the New York City. And he wrote in an op-ed, this will get Trump's attention. Andrew Cuomo to President Trump mobilized the military to help fight coronavirus. And they spent a gazillion dollars on this, and it turned out that they were completely unnecessary. They shut down in about a month. The spin-up was very expensive, then it was never used, and then it was wasted. They had The Javits Center had a grand total of 72 people for their 2,500 beds available. Then, then, and uh, 
Funding for a hospital has got to be one of the most complicated things ever. I'm sure you're getting money from the state, you're getting money from the feds, you're getting money from donors. And so when you buy stuff, when you buy equipment, it's essentially yours, right? And, uh, well, he demanded that the upstate hospital send all of their ventilators to New York City, leaving the upstate residents high and dry. He forced the private hospitals to re relinquish their ventilators, and he called the CEOs and threatened, I will personally pull your operating license. And ventilators, COVID would confuse the oxygenation in your blood readings, you know, the 96% or whatever it is you want to have. So when that would happen, they would force the ventilator into you, and that was bad. That was a bad result. When you don't need a ventilator, you don't need one. Now, you could argue that any one of those policies would not be known at that time to be as utterly catastrophic as it turned out to be when he imposed them. But what we do know is it's not a good idea to give one man authority to in institute mass quarantines and order businesses to close and suspend laws and issue all these sweeping directives. We know that. And the question becomes, If you do that, if you know that, why would you write a book about reminding everybody that it was your boss who forced these policies on the public? DeRosa seems quite pleased with herself for her own contribution to the COVID rules. She was the one <clears throat> who pushed for a quarantine on travelers from states like Texas, Florida, and Arizona. And see, Originally, he rejected the ideas because he said, isn't that exactly what we opposed back in March when Rhode Island threatened to quarantine New Yorkers? Well, then he, he, he caved in. She was also the one that wanted to wreck the New Yorkers' uh, 2020 Christmas holidays by insisting on a 10 p.m. curfew on the very necessary bars. <laughs> and uh, she said she'd have preferred to unilaterally close all bar, bars, restaurants, and other state liquor licensed authority of uh, licensed establishments, but was worried there would be no public buy-in. Then she wanted to limit indoor and outdoor gatherings at private residences to no more than 10 people. Which, by the way, all of that stuff is insanity. But he eventually caved into his drunk-with-power assistant. And DeRosa still doesn't understand what COVID was. She was told that COVID was the flu, and she said, well, there's a vaccine for, for the flu. Well, see, vaccines are, are, are a shot in the dark, really, right? But the thing is, your, immunity, your immune system has dealt with the flu more than once in most cases. So if you've had the flu, your immune system learns how to adapt and shift to it. When COVID came along, we did not have that yet. But this was, you know. She was moved into the into the uh, government uh, to the governor's mansion. She got to work out in the gym every day. She got she got ferried around by the helicopter. She found the empty streets haunting and yet somehow beautiful. Boy, you just I mean, there's just some things you can't make up. I don't know. This is News Talk ninety eight nine W O R D.
So tonight is the debate, which it should be good. It, it should be quite a bit of fun for some of us to watch. But anyway, there's not going to be a live audience for it. So GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is uh, 71307. And you'll have presidential candidate in waiting, Gavin Brill-Cream Newsom, against Ron. I actually do real things. DeSantis on Fox News on Thursday tonight. And you'll get to see the contrast to the policies of and the governing of both states. Or it might become a food fight. It's going to be something in between. But everybody's saying it's a debate we should be having. You got one man cutting carbon emissions, another man prioritizing energy production. One man made opened up his state to everybody that comes across the border, legally, illegally, the other, whatever. And the other signed the nation's strictest anti-illegal immigrant laws ever. So, and the thing is, this the, these guys are both the uh, figureheads of the future of both parties. And... We have clear, delineated track records where they've taken their states in new directions and different directions. Now, California is losing population as people who have the means to move, move. In that, you know, Florida has gained population, as has Texas, much up from the deep blue dystopic states like California. Florida's attraction is being a state welcoming of business and families. And it has led to strains on infrastructure and services, but that's growing pain. And uh, the pain of tyranny that Gavin Newsom is presiding over right now shows very little sign of abating. So the question is going to be, do we keep mandating more expensive cars, homes, and appliances while also prohibiting energy production? from record amounts of public land? Or do we let people drive the cars they want, build the homes they want, produce the energy they need to make a good life affordable for all? So Newsom, that's pretty good. Somebody's calling him gruesome. I like that. That's pretty good. You're, you're quick. I like that. Uh, Newsom is going to get out there and he's going to bring with him a fact-free attack that both touts California's sizable but sick economy and he's going to rail against Mr. DeSantis's pro-family stances and where he's, you know, he's saying kitty porn should not belong in the first grade classroom. He'll be going after that. He also, he also will be going after the fact that they should be, you know, in California, they're taught to hate each other's oppressed or oppressor based on the melanin. And, uh, you know, but here's a, here, here's the thing. California touts the fifth largest economy in the world, but that's no indication that it actually is working. The Soviet Union had the second largest economy in the world in 1990. And then they fell apart. <laughs> and it's not just that Newsom presides over a one-party, one-religion people's republic. He's never challenged. And they could do one thing, and listen, I hope they bring this up. They have something in California called AB5. And he has apparently violated it. And this, this affected a lot of people, transcriptionists and pharmacists and forensic nurses and translators and event producers and wedding planners and tutors, court reporters, independents, basically freelancers, okay? So he hired 
freelance photographer Charles Omini to take presidential glamour shots of his trip to China. And he likely violated the AB5 law when he did that. According to the Politico, Omni, who has been freelancing for Newsom for more than five months, gets no photo credits for the work he did. And he's directed when and where to shoot. Per AB5, a freelance photographer must be able to set his or her own hours. Otherwise, the arrangement violates the control and direction restriction of AB5 and therefore misclassifies the independent contractor. Additionally, the individual cannot be restricted from distributing, licensing, or selling their work product to another business. So if Newsom was treated like every other business in California, the Employment Development Department would target him for misclassifying his freelance photographer. He'd be looking for at fines of $5,000, $25,000, and $10,000. Now, don't expect that to happen because we're talking about the king of California. You know, French Laundry Newsom. We're talking about him. So uh, you don't you can't expect him to feel compelled to be to abide by his own laws. So for the peasants of California, I guess it's good to be the king. I sincerely hope somebody has coached Governor DeSantis to bring that one little bon mod up. I will talk to you guys in 21 hours. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.